Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Nick. And this is our review of Cliffhanger, starring Sylvester Stallone, Janine Turner, Michael Rooker, Rex Lynn, Leon Robinson, Caroline Goodall, and John Lithgow. Directed by Rennie Harlan, released in 1993 on a budget of $70 million, grossed $255 million at the box office. So we're wrapping up our Summer of Stallone series here with this one. And Nick, I remember seeing this in theaters in 1993 because they didn't totally card you back then and you know, I could get in. And <laughs> I probably watched it a few times since. Really, the only thing I remember is what the hell ever accent John Lithgow's trying to play in this movie. Like I, I remember like a lot of beautiful scenery and just your standard issue sort of goofy Stallone as the hero flip. Yeah, uh not so much like John Lithgow with me, but I do remember him kind of like he was bigger in the nineties than he was now. I remember he had uh obviously this and then he had that uh third rock from the sun um show yeah that was in the late 90s this was the part of his movie career where he's playing bad guys he was in like raising Kane as a dual doppelganger it's terrible yeah all i know from the 90s is this and he was the alien had alien guy from that show (laughs) and then of course he went on to do like i think he was in a, a season of dexter later on and then uh he ended up being guy was that like that daddy's home too or something. I I, he's been in all of, kinds of stuff. Like the thing, like yeah. John Lithgow to me, like I remember him more from like the eighties and his drama stuff. Right. And now then he started doing, I don't know, again, bad action, evil hero. He was in ricochet. which was like a 91 Denzel joint where he's like the bad guy. And I mean, he had this thing where he could play. I think it's because he can twist his voice to play kind of sinister, which is probably why they threw him in the latest Pet Cemetery movie because he could kind of do that stuff. But I don't, I always think of him as sort of like the nice neighbor next door, or like your nice math teacher or something. So it's weird for him to be the bad guy, but I guess we're just kind of going against trope with him or something, just kind of the way he looks. Cause he does look so unassuming when you see him. Like, yeah, he's got the, uh, you know, the history teacher look to him. Exactly. And putting him as like someone who's like a, like a, like in this movie where he's a crazy, you know, sociopath or whatever, it's, kind of going against uh, tropes there it'd be kind of like making a sylvester stallone um you know like a bomb maker or something like that (laughs) (laughs) yeah we should tell everybody pull the the curtain back here originally we were going to end summer stallone with the specialist and nick and i recorded an episode and thankfully the audio had some troubles but i'm we're saving y'all like that was bad like there's nothing to talk about so just just to spoil the ending i actually said it was the worst movie we ever reviewed yeah, so that that one now is in the lost episodes film strip, so you guys don't have to hear that one. But you are here to hear us talk about Cliffhanger. And the other thing I did remember from this was Janine Turner, who was huge at the time. I was not a Northern Exposure fan, but I knew that was what she was known for and stuff. So I knew her as the kind of it girl from Northern Exposure. You ever watch that show? No. Uh, was that the guy from uh, the guy who was an alien? Was he in there? I don't know. I don't think uh, Paul Tom, Ro- Tom Skerritt. 
I don't know if Scarrett was in that one or not. I can't remember. He might have been. I don't remember. I never watched the show. I just know that like it was about this doctor that ended up in the middle of, I don't know, Alaska or something. And she was kind of the romantic foil for him. And that yeah. that's all I really remember. But she was also kind of hard to get or whatever because she was playing like the more 90s woman and stuff. She had short hair and she was a different look. She was kind of, you know, punky and stuff. I I, everything I've ever seen her in, I thought she was good in, but I didn't like follow her necessarily. I just knew she was from that show. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Like it was uh, Rob Morrow was in it. I guess I'm really off with Tom Scarrett. He was in another 90s show. I don't know. He was in Picket know. Fences. That's probably what you're thinking about. That's so. it. Yeah. yeah. So all this stuff's coming back. That 30 somethings. Yep. I, I, all these crazy like yeah. early 90s stuff I don't ever want to revisit. So yeah. And my, Michael Rooker, I knew from lots of things. Always a good character actor. I mean, he was in Henry, the portrait of a serial killer. He was at Rowdy Burns in Days of Thunder opposite Tom Cruise after Top Gun, which was you know cool in the 80s. And I've, I've seen this guy in a lot of stuff. He's been, he's still in movies. He's in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies as uh, yeah. Chris Pratt's uh, dad, you know, so the the blue guy that can whistle the you know arrow around or whatever. Uh, so, I mean, and, he bit, became, and he also was in The Walking Dead, too. He was the uh, neo-Nazi who became the lovable neo-Nazi in The Walking Dead. <laughs> but no, you've got other people, you know, like Leon Robinson. He actually just went by Leon at the time, so I knew that guy from other stuff. Rex Lynn's a Texas character actor, seeing a lot of stuff. Caroline Goodall, I had seen in other things too. Um, I just, I always knew her as again, kind of one of the, I don't know, Euro bad heavies and things like that, or always like playing a professor or something along those lines. But I'll be honest with you, I honestly got her confused with like the blonde woman that's uh, opposite Jeremy Irons in the third Die Hard movie. For a minute, I thought they were one and the same because they look so much alike, but they're they're not the mm-hmm. same people. Uh, but she was like the mom in Disclosure. Remember when we did that back in the day? She was she was the the wife in Disclosure to uh, Michael Douglas's characters that had to talk about sexual politics and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, where have I seen Rexland though before? I mean, oh, like that mustache was driving me nuts the entire dude. Movie. He's he's been in all kinds of stuff. Matter of fact, the the mustache was only a short period of time. He mostly worked without it, but. That dude um, has been in CSI Miami. You know, that was one of his big pieces. He was in uh, that movie Thunderheart. He was an FBI agent. Um, he was in Wyatt Earp, which was the opposite Tombstone. He's in Clear and Present Danger. He's been in that because he did, you know, 90s movies. He was in Long Kiss Goodnight. Yeah. Lots of stuff. He was in Rush Hour. That's kind of what he's really known for. I think Rush Hour was the big thing he did, but he's, he's always playing like a good side part. He was in Zodiac. Um, so if you remember that. Yeah, that might, that might be what that I might know be it. Zodiac. Yeah. He, Cause yeah. man, was he, I, I, out of all these people in this movie, like he annoyed me the most. Like <laughs> there was something about that mustache and just like this, like bravado that he had. I just, he won't get into it, but yeah, man, I wanted to punch him so bad. <laughs> uh, apparently said so to everybody else, right? But no, he barely, you know, again, good character actor, but this is a Stallone vehicle. And to be told about, it like this movie was in production or pre-production for like i don't know a dozen years or so because the premise written about like mountain climbing rescuers and stuff like that had been floating around hollywood forever and they'd gone through all kinds of scripts different directors different people and they finally were able to get it down to this story and they got Stallone attached to it, but he only had a limited window to do because this is a big year for Stallone because Demolition Man that we released last you know, episode came out a few months after this thing. So Stallone's in a lot of movies in the early 90s. So they had to get him for a certain amount of time. 
And then they attached Rennie Harlan to it. And I know Rennie Harlan has like this terrible reputation, you know, among cinephiles and stuff like that. But the reason the guy kept getting work was the same reason Brett Ratner got work for years. He turned in stuff on budget and on time and it made money at the box office. And so when you, you know, before Rennie Harlan did Cutthroat Island and, and really cut his own career throat with that one, he was a, a go-to director for a lot of stuff. And in the early nineties, I mean, he was coming off doing Nightmare on Elm Street movies and a lot of other action stuff. I think he had done Die Hard 2 at that point. So why not go to, to this Alien guy? 3 as well? Yes, he was. Movie that we reviewed back in the day. He, uh, he was originally all lined up for that for at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was before everything fell apart. And so, yeah, I mean, he had done stuff that showed he could do this and he knew how to work a camera and Again, he's, he knows how to work in Europe. Most of this is shot in Italy. There's some of it shot in Durango, Colorado, but most of it shot in Italy. So you, you've only got a limited amount of time. And look, they shot this thing and put it together quick to get it into theaters. And we can talk about how that works or not, but, um, Rennie Harlan was kind of the go-to action director for a few years in Hollywood. Yep. A few short years, luckily, but, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I have to say though, like, honestly, it's very few things of his I've seen. I didn't at least have some fun with, I mean, Cutthroat Island's garbage and I'll never watch that again, but unless we somehow or another come around to it on this show, but most everything else I've ever seen him direct, I, I didn't dislike it. I mean, it's not great cinema. It's not Stanley Kubrick stuff, but it's, you know, it's fun. It's popcorn movies. Yeah, he kind of reminds me of the guy who did like Independence Day and uh, like Godzilla was that R- Roland, Roland Emmerich or something. It's like <laughs> Roland yeah, Emmerich, the European yeah. yeah, the European action director that comes over and it's like it's such like throwaway movies. Like I think out of everything I've seen of his, like I think Deep Blue Sea is probably the guiltiest pleasure I have. Yeah, <laughs> just because I think it's actually I think it's actually a pretty like it's a bad movie, no doubt, but it's it's very watchable. Yeah, very fun. But like I. Yeah. But out of everything else I've seen of it, it was like I've seen like obviously the re- the prequel, The Exorcist, which was god awful, uh, <laughs> Driven, which another Stallone vehicle. I which saw was, Driven in oh theaters. Oh my god, <laughs> I did too. That was so bad. Uh-huh. It was. I'm just. I remember sitting there watching it as like a kid, and I'm just like usually a lot more forgiving when you're a kid watching a movie and stuff like this. But I remember just watching that like, oh my god, this is awful. This is so bad. And like, I grew up like watching Formula One racing and all that kind of stuff. Like, I was really into that stuff. And I was like, man, this is such trash. It was so bad. Kept Bardu's in that. Remember that when he was a thing? Oh, yeah. We've hinted around it enough here. I guess it's time to give people a quick plot summary on Cliffhanger before we jump, uh, jump off the ledge, uh, as it were. So Stallone plays Gabe Walker, the most skilled rescue climber there is, of course. But even he makes mistakes. When he and his girlfriend, Jeske, who's also a fellow rescue worker and played by Janine Turner, try to rescue another climber, Hal and his girlfriend, Sarah, and Hal's played by Michael Rooker, Things get out of hand. Sarah slips and falls out of Gabe's grip and plunges 4,000 feet to her death. Gabe is unable to put this behind him, and neither is Hal, so he leaves town. Eight months later, though, he's forced to conquer those fears because Hal is taken hostage by Eric Quaylen, a dangerous ex-CIA operative and a group of mercenaries who hijack a plane full of treasury cash with the help of a turncoat agent. However, in a firefight... In midair, the plane they were on crashes and the suitcases carrying the money are scattered all over the Colorado Rockies. So therefore, they put out a fake rescue call and Jesse convinces Gabe to go help Hal and they're both taken hostage. Well, Gabe escapes, but Hal's being used by Quaylen and his group to locate the G- uh, the suitcases using GPS locators. Hal and uh, Gabe and Jesse, on the other hand, are running around trying to intercept them and they always seem to be one step ahead of them. So... 
But a lot of back and forth going on. Gabe and Jesse continually thwart the mercenaries, and several of them are killed or die in treacherous terrain. Finally, Gabe gets a showdown with Quaylen, and they fight in a helicopter that is crashing down a cliff until Gabe gets the upper hand and Quaylen is dispatched. The Treasury agents and FBI show up just as how Gabe and Jesse are reunited, and the movie ends atop a beautiful cliff. And that's the straight-line plot summary. This movie's pretty simple, as most Stallone movies are. They don't get terribly complicated, uh, but maybe unlike the specialist um at least we didn't have like a annoying voiceover and you know movie by voicemail yeah or stallone like sitting and laying in a bed with his uh, legs crossed with a blanket between his yeah 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 we don't get any Much gratuitous better. nudity in this like we get a shirt off at one point for stallone because i think it's like in his contract but no we don't we don't get any of that it's cold hey, like, the audience the audience pays to come see me without a shirt on or whatever <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah. but no we we do i will say this for this movie as cheesy as it is and we're probably going to rip into it here pretty good i will give rennie harlan and his dp some credit here the scenery in this is amazing it is a beautiful looking movie and it looks good. I mean, they use a good bit of the scenery and the camera to make everything look gorgeous for this absolutely cheeseball film. Yeah, they didn't even film it on the Rockies. Didn't they film it down, uh, film it down in like Chile or no, something? No, it's, it's in Italy. That's like I was saying. It was all shot in oh, Italy. Oh, it's in Italy. Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah most gotcha. of it was shot in Italy. There's, there's a few exteriors that definitely are the Rockies, but this was all shot. Most of it was shot in Italy. They tried to make the most of it. Alex Thompson's the director of photography. I was trying to spit that out a minute ago. They do a good job setting it up. Yeah. Well, I got to ask you. So we get to this first scene where uh, they're on a little rescue mission where Stallone's got to get up there and get Rooker and his girlfriend off this cliff. And the one thing I just kind of noticed is, like, they're they're up there pretty high. I know the Rockies yep. get up to be, like, 14,000 feet or whatever. And I know they kind of, like, throw out the term, like, 4,000. I don't know if they meant 4,000 feet or meters. Uh, be in the Rockies, maybe they meant meters, but um, the whole thing is like it's gonna be pretty cold up there, don't you think? I, and this whole yeah. thing is like Stallone's always barely wearing clothes <laughs> during a lot of these scenes, and I'm like, man, you're up there high altitude, so the air's thinner, you know, and it's like it's got to be pretty cold up there. I'm like, I don't know, just something that kind of bugged me, especially in the first scene where I'm like, man, you guys are like wearing as least amount of clothes as possible. At least, you know, Stallone is. Yeah, we're recording this in June, by the way. It snowed last week in Colorado and the Rockies where like this would have been. So you get up, get up high enough, it's going to snow a lot. We see them at first here. Everybody's in shorts and T-shirts and stuff. And I know it gets a warmer if you're in the lower parts of the altitude, but you get up around 4,000 feet, you're getting you know, right under a mile there. It gets a little cool. So it, it's not realistic, but again... You got these people that want to, you got the two buff men and Rooker's not a big guy, but he has always been kind of built. And so I'm sure he's trying to macho out with, with Sly here. Who's just absolutely ripped. Of course he's in, he's in what I call like Rocky three shape. There's a shape that he got into for that movie, the Rocky three Rambo two shape. And he stayed in that shape for maybe, I don't know, 10 or 12 years before he just became like a hunk of spam that he is now. He's ripped. They want to show him off, but we get this opening scene. And beyond the fact that they're not wearing enough clothes for it or whatever, they have to do this whole, it's too windy to just winch somebody up. So you got to put a line on this end to this end, and then we'll drag you over. And you basically have to shimmy across this thing. Now, the, the, the thing is here, though, is that Sarah is an inexperienced climber. So Hal's taken her up to like this really dangerous spot. He's twisted his knee again, uh, and he can't get them down. So they have to get rescued by, you know, 
Gabe and Jesse here to to get you know back to the helicopter and be safe. Why would you ever take somebody who's not very experienced that high up? This is just asking for trouble. That is just a dumb well, thing. The in 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 reality thing there would be he's doing it to get laid. <laughs> you know, that's, that's probably why. It's like oh, I'm going to go show off here and try to impress the girl and everything like that. But that's the whole thing. Is like this is like. You know, not like, you know, where we're at in like, you know, Carolina, where you got kind of more of the eroded mountains, where it's more of like mm-hmm. a good trail to go up it. Like, this was like straight, like shoot rock style going up the cliffs. And I'm like, you got to be a pretty damn good climber just to get up there. And, and like, the whole thing is like, oh, she's a novice. I'm like, there's no way a novice is going to get up that far. No. You know what I mean? Because this no. is like serious, like mountain climbing and stuff, you know, like where they're, you know, using like, what were they using? Like, uh, like these, like little hydraulic guns to shoot, like the, uh, the cable, whatever, Propelling hooks whatever. And all yeah, that stuff, yeah. into there and stuff. But yeah, I'm watching this and like, okay, they get up there and everything. And <clears throat> my question is, is like, was there no better way to get them across as opposed to having her repel or basically like monkey climb 4,000 feet up? And like, dude, even being like inexperienced climber, that would be scary as shit. Well, and you know what, that, what the like, thing woman is, who's never done it before. Yeah, they undercut it by by two things. One, she's never done it before, and she's afraid of heights. All right, you would never get. My wife is afraid of heights. You would never get swimming. Exactly, (laughs) dude. Like, there's other things to do in Colorado. Gorgeous places. Just stay out of Gunnison because they they got aliens and weird stuff going on. Go rent a cabin somewhere and have a nice fire or something like that. But. I'm thinking too, I'm like, okay, well, if they're going to be like coming down, why don't they like make the helicopter just like a little bit lower? So that way she's kind of like going down with gravity. You know what I mean? Well, the thing is, there's no, there is nowhere around them to land and they do set up a line. This is the second thing I was going to nitpick is that it's too windy, too much crosswind right now. So I'm like, Gabe, what you do then is you go up there with shelter materials. You put together a temporary shelter. If you have to make it last through the night, we make it through the night to when the wind dies down and the helicopter comes tomorrow and winches us all up and we get the hell out of here. We don't do this gung ho stuff that's going to get us killed. But obviously we have to have an inciting incident. So that's what the whole purpose of this is. And I will say, which was, which was spoofed in Ace Ventura too, by the way, I I did know that. And I've tried to forget Ace Ventura altogether, (laughs) but I did remember that, but there's something about like eighties style tension. And I do say eighties style for something that's in 1993. I realized that, but that bled over till about 1995 for all of us, y'all. And, there's something about the way that they do that that does work well. I mean, it's a crazy thing. Like she's in the Swiss seat. It comes unraveled and basically the buckle is hanging on to her carabiner, which is suspending her up above the ledge. That's all that's holding her together while Stallone is trying to rapidly get out there to rescue her. And I'm like, man, I mean, there's, there's some good tension in this scene. I actually liked the fact that he wasn't able to rescue her in spite of all the work he had to do to do it. Yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, it, it is a good scene. I mean, you got to kind of check your brain to think, okay, this one could climb up here, but she can't be able to reach up with the other hand. She's not strong enough to do that, but she's strong enough to get up to that point in the mountain. It's like, okay, I'll go with it. Not really, but yeah, I mean, the whole tension thing. And for me too, I'm kind of a little nervous around heights. So just kind of like thinking like being like hanging there with like nothing underneath you, but jagged rocks that are like thousands of feet below you. Yeah. It's enough to get me kind of a little bit on edge, but that's just more due to my own, you know, lacking confidence when it comes to heights. No, I think a lot of people can relate to that fear, Nick. I mean, totally. That's, that's something that, you know, my wife's not the only person that's afraid of heights. You just admitted to it. And look, I don't, 
care for them. I wouldn't go and do something like this. But it's a good tense scene. It's also, there's a little bit of humanity in it. I mean, she's grabbing onto him and they keep yelling at her to reach up, reach up. And I'm like, she's not in shape to do this. She doesn't know how to do it. She's freaking out. She's what the audience would be. And she's like, I don't want to die. Don't drop me. Don't let me die. And she, you know, she, her gloves just slip out of his and she, that's a good fall, like good green screen work. Cause even in the nineties, like you can always tell when somebody's falling backwards. I was like, that's right up there with like, you know, the diehard fall with the guy getting shot out of the window. The one thing I was actually kind of surprised about is I actually kind of held the camera on her for a good portion of that fall. Yeah. You know, normally on something like that, they would just, you know, the hand would slip. You maybe would just kind of show her falling back and then it would just be like reaction shots of, you know, the music swelling and everything as it happening. But no, they, they show her kicking and going down pretty far. I mean, pretty much the only thing they don't show is the actual uh, impact. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, <clears throat> uh, Vertical Limit. Yeah, um, yeah. There's another mountain climb. That was a movie that started off with the same thing, too, where the father falls down. But actually, in that movie, they show him hitting the ground, I remember, which was kind of the, the shocking part. But, yeah, they, I don't think they could really do it here because, uh, you know. Yeah, it's not that kind of movie. They, they, they're going to have enough violence later on. They couldn't do that. Uh, but, yeah, I think at one point, like, there's a couple of – there's a stunt later on where a guy jumps over an open chasm. And it, he got paid, like, a million dollars to do. He's one of the you know, best climbers in the world at the time doing that and they had to pay the guy like ridiculous money to get him to do it i'm told too that like the original cut of the film had people like jumping across spans of like three and four hundred feet and the studio was like no one is going to believe this this is insane and they went back and, and cut it back down to where it was a little more realistic because stallone had of course because he has his hands on the script and he helped write the script for this had you know my character's got to do like superhuman shit man and i mean he does all kinds of goofy stuff but they pare that down for the most part just beside of setting up like how good he is but we see that he's not so good that he's not fallible and so we we are supposed to you know relate to this and then we get into the actual setup of the movie so this is almost like the prologue right and we go to this whole setup at the treasury where we've got thousand dollar bills that are not in circulation they're used for banking transactions and you've got great character actor Paul Winfield you know, whose special appearance by Paul Winfield talking to Rex Lynn Travers the who will find out is the the bad agent that's transporting all this money like hey you know there's no way everybody's going to steal this they can rip us off in cars and trains but they never get us in a plane you got Bruce McGill there another great character actor just in this one scene really and next in the plane and I, I love this whole idea that like they can't possibly steal them in the air, right? And could you be more like obvious that like, well, obviously somebody's going to steal these in the air now because we have this. But what did you think of the setup of the idea of you have to rob money that you actually can't do anything with? Like if you walked around with a thousand dollar bill, you walked in a bank, you would be arrested immediately, Nick, because people know you don't have that in circulation. Yeah, I mean, I guess kind of like what's their end game with the money? If they can't use it. Yeah, but the, the whole spo- point is like the, the mercenary group or whatever, we're told like they have the connections in foreign lands to be able to move that cash and like change it out. I'm like, what are you going to get? 60 cents on the dollar? Which I mean, $30 million is $30 million. There's $100 million. Maybe you can make that work, but there's, I don't know, eight or nine of them. I'm like, eventually that's, that's going to run low. Like these are not well-funded mercenaries, but maybe you get the sense that this isn't their first job or only job either. I guess, yeah. I mean, that was the one thing I was kind of trying to, like, understand here is, like, you're going to take money that can't be used, but someone's going to give you money for it. I'm like, 
I guess again another thing I'll have to go with, but um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just I just don't see why they just didn't make it kind of like, hey, this is just a money transport from one freaking currency place, you know, to another. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to get like overly complicated with it, or just make it be like, oh yeah, it's 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 a rich guy's plane, and he has he's just transporting money because he doesn't believe in the wiring or something. Got to have it in your hand. He's like the grandma's got to have it in the mattress. I don't know. It just it just seemed seemed like a real convoluted thing to add to it, but I guess. They're trying to make it seem like, okay, in this really dumb movie, we're going to do something smart. Right, and I think you've hit on it. This movie is incredibly dumb, and it knows it's dumb, so we've got to have smart criminals, right? Or at least ones that have a smart plan. Nick, the 90s was loaded with these, right? After Die Hard, right? Like, every criminal... Die Hard on the Mountain. Yeah, it was Die Hard on the Mountain, you know, but unlike something like Speed, which was basically Die Hard on a bus, right? Uh, And maybe Die Hard Lethal Weapon on a bus... That had a like a smart thing to it. They also got the right people to play it. We'll get to Lithgow in a second. But they made the co- the concept of the crime here so overly complicated that if you think about it at all, you go, like, wait, wait a minute, what did you just say? Like, you steal this money, you can't use it? Like, I'm, I paid attention to that this time because I'll be honest, I had never caught that detail before. I thought they were just ripping money off, you know, that for whatever reason, the Treasury decided to fly instead of run by train or whatever else or Brink's truck. And... I'm, I'm going, just make it just yeah. make it gold or make it jewels. You know what I mean? I mean? Make, make it something yeah. easy. Yeah, like it would have been it would have been better if it was something like that. But we have to have somebody on the inside, obviously. But we have to break from that moment where we're getting the load up on the plane. We got this guy who's gonna you know, ride the plane with him. We see that set up, and he's you know, he looks really sinister. So maybe you were supposed to wonder if he's the bad guy. Obviously, he won't be. But we have to cut away to like having emotions now because Gabe comes back to town, and before he gets to Jesse, he is driving, and like two bros, you know, ski bros, see him. And can you have a conversation between two cars driving 50 miles an hour up a mountain, Nick? Because these people do. I've had yelling matches with people next to me on the freeway, but nothing like that. So I'm going to have to go with no, because even during times like that, you can barely hear someone, especially driving, you know, what? They're probably going like 65 miles an hour and everything. It's like, yeah. yeah, And they're they're talking like they're sitting right next to each other. It's just one of those like stupid scenes where, I don't know, they're, they're setting these two like extreme like mountain dude drinking guys up and even as we get like further in the movie and like what their whole point is i still don't even understand what the hell the point of these two guys are except for maybe to be like okay you got some like teenagers in the in, in the audience and like oh man that's me you know what i mean like doc Doc Martin flannel wearing guys, you know. It's two things. Stallone was like into like we got to have some like extreme sports people in this because that's what the kids are into, right? Like it was the X Games and all that was coming out, so he wanted that in there. And originally, like their parachutes were going to be part of a, like elaborate escape scene that him and one of the other climbers had or whatever. And they just again they had to cut that down because it it didn't make any sense. And then they when they even tried to shoot it, it was just ridiculous. So that's why they they kind of come and go. That we get one other scene of them cold in the tent and we see him the next day and then they get shot at. So they're they're just there to sort of set up that he's been gone, but he's back. He's the greatest climber in the history of ever or whatever. But all of this is so Stallone can go have this emotional scene with Janine Turner where like she's petting her horse or whatever at this gorgeous cabin she's got. I'm like, what a rescue make rescue workers make because holy cow girl good work if you can get it and and anyway he's like i I just came back for you jesse i came back for my stuff and i'm like you're part of my stuff and what i like about her character though is she's like uh this is my life here you're the one that left loser why should i leave with you yeah the whole like romantic thing right here it's like so i guess we're supposed to take it that he left 
because of what happened on the mountain, you right. know, she died and he couldn't be there anymore. And I guess I'm just trying to figure it out because it's like, that's kind of your job. You know what I mean? Is like you, you screwed up once and now you leave. And if you're like the best mountain climber in the world and stuff like that, then case okay, it's, it's not going to go according to plan every time. So I'm no. just, I'm trying to figure out like why he left at all, because it's just like, again, it's like part of your job. It's like, you know, if a paramedic loses someone on the way to the hospital, they don't quit being a paramedic. It's like, crap does happen you know what i mean you something like that's gonna happen i get it it was traumatic but even like when they go back to be like why rooker's like so mad at him because like he's like oh you should have done it your way and it's like what other way was there yeah you know what i mean it's like he he agreed to it he went in like you know you know climb you know monkey climbed across the cable there and like he wanted to like why she was slipping like his whole thing was like i was gonna give her another harness to slip on she couldn't even pull herself up when Stallone had her in hand in hand. So what's making him think that she, being a novice climber, is going to be able to sit there and basically get a new harness, put it on safely, and then reattach herself to the actual uh, wiring contra- you know, the wiring contraption? I'm just like, this doesn't make any sense here as far as why he's mad. I mean, you could be mad because she died, but Stallone did everything he could to save her. Moreover, you're right. These guys are experienced climbers. This kind of thing has bound to have happened before. Moreover, yeah, moreover, moreover, Stallone is an EMT. Like they drop lines about that. He's got the medical training for it. That's why you, when the distress call goes out, it's because somebody needs insulin. Like they're faking it because they can really get some help that way, which is smart on the terrorist part or whatever, or the thieves part. But Rooker's not an EMT, or at least not as good a one as, you know, Gabe Walker is. And so Stallone obviously has, if you're an EMT at any amount of time at all, you know you've lost people, you know, and maybe it's somebody you don't know, but he's dealt with this. Like you're trained to handle this. Go to counseling, get some therapy. It's the nineties. It's okay to do this now, right? And the fact that they they keep playing it off like he's having this big tormented bit. I'm like, I love the fact that, that Jesse's like, dude, we all had to get over it. You need to get over it as well. And he's like, oh, Duke Hell's over it. Well, maybe he's not, but he will. You know, like, you you bailed on me, and now you just want me to up and leave with you? No. And this is the other thing I knew, too. Obviously, he wasn't missed, because after she drives off or rides off with the horse, the dog comes up to him and kind of looks at him, and he's like, yeah, you doing, boy? Nick, I go a month without seeing your dog, and he, like, attacks me when I see him. So I'm like, well, obviously, Stallone was not really wanted there, because the dog didn't even miss him. Yeah, if the dog doesn't like you, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> but we have to get back to our midair heist and our shootout. And before we do anything else, like with all this that happens here, Travers obviously is involved in this. The other agent that's been tracking him figures it out pretty quick because there's a plane following him. He pulls a gun on him. The other guys grab him like, man, you're freaking out. And then Travers shoots everybody. And we know like what's going to happen. And I have to ask, did like Christopher Nolan steal this for the Dark Knight Rises opening? Because it awfully feels like it. It's very similar. I mean, with the whole two uh, two planes and trying to get from you know one one thing to another and everything. Yeah, it's it's very similar. I, I would say that. Yeah, he may have been you know maybe he wanted Stallone to be Bane at first. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what Hardy was going for. Hardy was maybe trying to go for like a British version of Stallone when he was doing the voice. Maybe that's it. I do know that he is a fan of all things eighties and nineties. So I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't a little cliffhanger at the beginning of that, but we get the whole setup here. And I gotta say, it is a good action scene. What, what goes on? I mean, we've got the cable between the two planes. We're going to run the, 
the briefcase is down there, and I like how Travers is like, I'm going first because uh, something told me you might not have waited on me if I'd sent the money first. Well, this guy's not an idiot, at least. I, I do like that. But I have to ask, what kind of accent is John Lithgow going with here? I set it up in the beginning, but it is so strange and hard to place. I don't know. It is. It's it's an accent. I just don't think it's ever one that's been sh- spoken before. So I mean, he's like trying to give some edge to his voice because, like we've said, he's always kind of that very nice and sort of nice neighbor next door. He's kind of Mister Rogers ish. So when he wants to be mean, he always talks with a little bend in his you know voice. I can't do it, but it's I don't know. It's weird, but it slips in and out throughout the movie, <laughs> which tells me that like they had a lot of different scripts going. And he was like, "What? What am I again? Am I from where am I from? Who cares? Right? Whatever." I mean, I think he's trying to do a British accent, right? Right, and he can. That's the thing. John Lithgow is like a stage actor. Like he could do this, but I think he's slipping in and out because he doesn't know what character he's supposed to play because there's like five different versions of the script running around. Well, I think what happened here is, you know, you kind of brought up Die Hard before, and of course, you have Alan Rickman in there who's got a very prominent British accent, and I could totally yeah. see like, you know, Rennie Harlan and Salone being like, "Oh, you got to you got to do a British accent because, yeah, that, that's what they expect. You know, if you're going to be going to be a." Um, you know, a classy bad guy here or something like that, or you got to be like this, you got to have the British accent, but he cannot pull it off at all. I will go again in his defense, having seen him do a lot of very good drama or whatever, where he's probably going like, but guys, I'm, I'm ex CIA in this page of the script. You don't worry about that page. I'm rewriting that page. Okay. So where's Quaylen from again? What kind of name is Quaylen? It doesn't matter. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, like I can see he's probably very confused. I, I've never read much of what he said about this movie. He was like, it was fun to do something with Stallone. How much age <laughs> difference do you think is between these two guys, man? Uh, I'd say, yeah, at least like 20 years. <laughs> no, like a year and a half. Lithgow's maybe a year and a half older than Stallone. He's like 46, 47. They made this Stallone's 45-ish. Also, John Lithgow's like a foot taller than him. He's 6'4". So that's why there's not a lot of scenes where they're on the same plane together. Because John Lithgow's a huge man. And Stallone yeah. is a ripped dude, but he's not a big dude. When he's, yeah. what, 5'6", five, 5'7", six, five, maybe? So he's a lot taller than him. I, I would have never believed they were that close in age. Not at all. Yeah, it's- yeah, I wouldn't have either. I mean, that's, I mean, I guess now that I'm kind of looking at it, like, well, I guess Stallone really isn't that young, but the thing is, like, he's still making movies now. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's like you kind of forget that he's, like, damn near 80. And, yeah, so, so is Lithgow. So Stallone is making Rambo 6 or whatever and looks like, you know, again, a hunk of meat. And John Lithgow's playing the elderly neighbor across the street in Pet Cemetery remakes. That's, yeah. yeah. I think, I think that's kind of the whole thing is, like, you're almost like taking them now. And then revert taking like the years away. So you're like, well, John Lithgow's definitely 80 something. And okay, so he'll be like that then. But then it's like, or 670, whatever it is. And then you're like, Stallone, it's like, there's so much plastic surgery here. I can't even tell yeah. anymore. That's the I mean, Stallone yeah. looks. Stallone's face looks like, oh my God, it's terrible right now. But anyways. <laughs> right. So, but we, we hear, we see all this happening. The plane blows up finally because they've set a bomb on it. They don't get off quick enough. So they're dangling these cases, which of course they can't bring them up in time. They fall across the snow. And Travers is like, fine, I got the GPS locator here with my big, humongous Magno glass thing. And we'll, we'll be able to find them. But their, their plane has also been shot up and is going to crash, right? And so they do the soft crash into the snow, do the radio for help. You know, everybody's alive except for the co-pilot. 
who got hit by a tree or something and we don't ever know his name. And so they, they're, they're kind of working through a plan here to figure out what to do. Meanwhile, back at treasury, the FBI shows up going like, Hey, we think you, you know, our guy that was on the plane was not just hitching a ride. He was investigating your guy who you say is your number one guy. Well, he's also a huge thief now. And that's when they go to again, over explaining the plot about you couldn't even do anything with the money if you have it. Well, Quayla would be the guy that could pull this kind of a heist. And I'm like, he's ex CIA, but he's still kind of foreign, but we don't really know his origin. Like it's all very muddled. Like in some ways they're, overcomplicating the story, but without explaining any of it. And this is a two hour movie for goodness sakes. Like you couldn't give me just a little bit more dialogue to explain what the whole purpose was, or maybe your idea, it should have been gold or something. Just make it gold. I mean, it would have been so much easier here and everything. And yeah, this is again, more with the money stuff. I'm just like, just get out. This is so stupid. I'm like, you guys are trying to be so smart. It's just coming off even more dumb here with the whole money stuff. But yeah, I got to laugh though. was cause uh, Winfield, man, he's like, He's always playing like 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 a law guy, isn't he? As far as every movie that yeah. he's in, because I, I remember him from Terminator. He was the captain of the Reliant that went down, you know, to, and got the earworm right? and all yeah. that. He's he was also like a judge and presumed innocent. Paul Winfield's been around for decades, and I think he's gone now. But he, um, yeah, yeah, was a fantastic actor. But he always kind of played some kind of law person. You're right, though. He was he was a Terminator guy. He was the one of the lieutenants. But again, look. You know, you overcomplicate the script without explaining it. And it just, it's so all so we can get back to more of this drama. You know, Gabe's getting ready to leave because he's packing up his junk. And Jesse comes running after him going like, Hey, we've got, you know, down hikers or somebody needs insulin. It's about to really come down up there. Hal doesn't know EMT work like you do. He's going to help. You can, if you take, and this is the convenient excuse that like is 15 times in this movie. If you take the North face, if you take the West face, you can beat them there. And I'm like, why would Hal not know that as well? Why would Hal always take the long way after he's captured? I get why he does to stall, but why does he always take the damn long way? But I get, my life thing too is like the whole insulin thing. Like what? It's insulin, you know. <laughs> it's well, like, no, no. They do that. Up, That's actually up. smart, though. They no, do that no, to no, try no, to but, get more people to come. Yeah, but the whole thing is like, oh, he can't handle it because it's insulin. I'm like, dude, it's just an injection. It's not that big of a deal. You don't yeah. need a guy like the best EMT ever. This guy needs insulin. It's like, well, moreover, yeah, my, it was set up that mom, a mother, like her child, needed the insulin. The mother would know how to administer that. It is kind of weak. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my my mom's dog is diabetic, and Everybody in the family gives the dog insulin. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's not a big deal. It's a pretty common thing to do. But I just think it's like I, I mean, doing something like okay, this guy's got like a heart condition or something like that. It's just again the whole thing with like it being like insulin just again comes off like you guys just are not really trying here. But I, I get the whole point where it's like yeah, let's get as many people up here as possible because I think the, the original goal was they wanted to get a helicopter. Right. And and, and then they realized the they, they can't because, yeah, they can't get the helicopter because, one, it can't fly in that kind of crappy weather. So now that's when they go out on foot with their uh, Magno glass again where they, they get to look at all these things. So Hal goes to help. Gabe's there, and they have you know the showdown where Rooker's like holding him over the ledge, and I love how Sloan's like, do it, do it. And I'm like, really? Like, no, like, obviously he's not going to let you go. And of course he has to have some smart ass line about like, no, you get to live and live with it or whatever. And I'm like, that's what he's been doing, man. Like, wh- why don't you just beat the crap out of him at least on the mountain there? Like, I thought Sloan was going to be like, 
I've been dead since that happened. You know, just oh, yeah. <laughs> what a what a horrible. Like, yeah, it's 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 unnecessary. Like he could have been like, "What are you doing here?" He's like, "You know, you don't know this stuff like I do. Just let me help, and I'm out of your life." And that would have been fine. We could have done that. It would have been better for me if if Rooker trying his best. Yeah, if if Rooker had been like fine, had been professional about it. Like fine, you help me get these people down, and then you get your ass out of here. You know, like that would have made sense, but. The, they go on way too much about that. But the only thing that doesn't make sense is he goes from like holding him within an inch of his life right there yeah. to then when we fast forward, when they run, you know, they go up the mountain and they end up running into them and finding out this is all a setup. And they find out like, oh, well, you guys are going to take us to these cliffs here where the money landed. And right away, like they're telling Stallone when they get up to the first one. That it's like, take off your jacket for insurance. And he's like, he's going to die if you do that. I'm like, you were just holding him over to Cliff like five minutes ago. I'm like, why, why, right. why do you care now if he's going to die? It's like you went from being like nearly uh, like a murderer to now you don't want your best friend to go without a jacket. I'm like, this kind of like the whole like, it sounds like the script was really, really kind of muddled together because the way his character goes from like hating him to liking him to hating him to liking him throughout the whole entire movie is really confusing. It's whiplashing, and I don't blame Rooker. I, I think, again, like, he and Lithgow are going like, man, do you know what we're doing to that? Man, I have no idea. Like, I can hear that conversation happening while Stallone is over there furiously rewriting this crap and, and arguing with Rennie Harlan all the time. Uh, I could totally believe that, because this is right in the prime totally of him doing being like, the Rooker would be like, so I'm supposed to be upset that you're getting the jacket. Oh, yeah, like, we're, we used to be, like, best friends and stuff, and you don't want to see me freeze. And then later it's like, so now I kind of by bitching at you because I want you to die. Oh yeah, you're still mad about the girlfriend thing. It's like, huh? <laughs> you know, just Stallone and his uh, Stallone logic. <laughs> Do you know what would have made that work so much better if Stallone had stayed there, and then there was just all that uneasy tension between them all the time? Like they they were professionalists to work together, but they obviously didn't like each other. You know, like there was like that would have been actual human drama. You know, we could have played that and we could have also cut 20 minutes out of this movie. <laughs> that's unnecessary because what we really want to get to is the action that's going to set well, how about this? Well, how about this, though? Let's say they set it up where these two guys are helping them out and Stallone's like, we can't trust these guys or whatever. And the guys are like, just help us out. We'll give you some of the money. You know what I mean? And like Rooker's like going along with it being like, hey, I don't have a life anymore. This is going to get me out of here. I can't be here because of what happened to my girlfriend. You can get it. You know, you got up and left. I didn't have that. And this is going to let me get out of here where it's kind of like setting up like this uneasy tension between them as far as like he's going along with it. And then Stallone's calling their bluff just to kind of give some more additional tension. Yeah, that would have totally worked. I agree. That would have totally worked better. But we're left with the movie that we have, and that's not what we're going to get. So they get up to the first case, and you know, Quaylen's down there going like, all right, when he comes back down, get rid of him. Obviously, we'd only need one of these idiots to do this with. And Rooker with you know, grows the balls and is like, hey, they're going to kill you if you come back down. And so Stallone uses his climbing apparatus to cut the rope that they tied around his you know, leg as a leash or whatever to get away. And then they, they fire up into the snow, the snow cap above with grenades and about a thousand rounds. It's like that scene in predator where they cut down the jungle. And I'm like, these guys are ex military operatives. Obviously they've operated all over the world. Any idiot knows if you shoot up into snow above you, it is about to come down on you. What, what a bunch of morons. Not only that, but it's like you're shooting into the mountain. What is underneath that snow but rock? 
those bullets are right. not going to go through the rock. They're made of copper and you know what I mean? And bre- it's like, it's, they're not going to go through anything up there. They're just going to chip off stuff. That's going to fall back on you. But it's again, we're yeah. going with Stallone logic here. So, well, and I mean, quite gets the best line. Cause he sees all the money falling down with the avalanche that does kill the grenade launch. Indeed. He's like, well, your friend had the most expensive funeral in the history of the world. So let's move on to that second case. And I'm like, man, this boy just wrote off $33 million. Like it was nothing to him. I'm like, man, that's, well, that's hardcore right there. And that's the whole thing, like the whole thing with like Lithgow's character is I just don't get his motivations here because he didn't he seem to care. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. He doesn't seem to care about anything. He's just kind of like, you know, we'll get into it later, but like how he's just like, oh, I'll kill this person. Oh, I'll well, yeah, this. he, he you know kills I mean? the woman that like you kind of get a sense that they have a romantic thing going on, maybe or whatever. But when Travers is basically holding the the you know GPS locator hostage or the the code to it hostage because he's like, I'm not gonna let you just screw me like that. Lithgow grabs this guy. He's like, you know what? It was real love sacrifice. And he shoots this woman. He's like, so I guess we're working together now. Cause I'm the only pilot left here. And I'm like, man, what a, what a psycho. Yeah. It'd be better if like, again, like they rewrote these characters where like maybe mustache dude is like, we got to get the money. We got to get the money. And lift goes just more like, Hey, you know what? I just want to live. I want to get the hell off this cliff. And there's kind of like this natural, like tension between them because they both have different objectives here. So yeah, when the money gets blown up and stuff like that, he's like, Hey, you know what? Let's get out of here. Let's, you know what I mean? This is stupid. You know, we're not going to get the money back where then you have mustache dude being like, no, we got to get the money. We got to get the money. This whole entire thing was about the money. So again, it's just like, let's go. And like everything It's just like, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, Alan Rickman really wanted to, you know, <laughs> to go through with his plans and die hard. Let's go. I don't know what the hell his end game is. Well, he's, there's nobody smart in the heist at all. There's always got to be one person that's smarter than everybody else that kind of keeps everybody level. Like think about, uh, the general in the rock played by Ed Harris, right? Who like when it finally all goes south, he's not really going to blow that missile up over San Francisco. They called the bluff. He calls it off. That's it. But I mean, he tells these guys like straight up, like, I don't, I'm not here for the money. Like I had to get the money so I could pay you idiots. Right. Because that's the only way I could pull this off. But I don't care about the money, but I, I'm here to try to make a point. Point was made. It's time to get out of Dodge. We've got a little bit of money here. We'll, we'll be all right. And what do you have is all the crazy people like, you know, candy man and all these other people that are freaking out because they don't have their money right like well quaylen should have been the same thing as ed harris you know hummel right he should have been like hey look guys we we've done a lot of jobs like we can walk away from this one let's shoot the agent and get the hell out of here because this is ridiculous like th- yeah there's no one that has any sense and all of the mercenaries are the same they all want the money they're obviously in it for the dough and i'm like you're well-funded enough to pull something like this off you're pro i mean a hundred million dollars is a lot of money i'm like and you went through a lot of trouble to get it but Clearly, it wasn't the end of your career, or at least you didn't set that up for us. So, again, nobody has any stakes. They just seem to be violent for violence' sake. Or have one guy going, why are we even trying to get this money anyway? We can't spend it. It's worthless. You know, it's Right. Like... <laughs> again, not, yeah, not a good plan. Overly complicated for no reason. But we get to the second you know, case, and Gabe and Jesse are ahead. And I have to ask a question. Like Gabe saw the little GPS locator where those things were on like, it looked like a dot matrix, like war games kind of printout of where those things were yet. He knows exactly where the cases are before they get there. Are they like hearing this on the radio and he's figuring out shortcuts? How are he and Jesse always ahead of them in terms of the money? I'd guess maybe he just got like a great photographic memory and because, Oh, I know these mountains and stuff where he can just like, Oh yeah, I know those 
really poorly rendered cliffs that are done like in a wire graphics style. And oh yeah, oh yeah. I I mean, that's the whole thing too. I was laughing early when like Lithgow's showing them like these pictures of the cliff, which look like, you know, 1989 like war game style like uh mm-hmm. like graphics on the computer this is like, do you yeah. know these cliffs I, i'd be like no one would know what that is it's like it's a bunch of freaking lines you know we're in the colorado rockies there's thousands of like little cliffs like that that go up and down here it's impossible for me to tell it based upon that picture but of course he knows so i guess i'm just taking it as okay he knows where this stuff is. He's got a great photographic memory, and he's going to get there before them because he's the world's greatest climber and and insulin, you know, yeah. injector. Well, he doesn't have the shirt on. He's at the old you know cabin or whatever. So Jesse figures that out from some garbled radio message. Goes and rescues him and gets him some more clothes because he's sitting there freezing and he's like having a you know freak out, which I would be too. I mean, that's it's called. It's not the only time we're going to see that, by the way. But I love how they finally get to the second case and they use it to make a fire, like in a cave. Then I'm like, what? That's pretty good. I mean, he even gets a bad pun. Like, there's, it's almost like it was a line that they left in where she looks at him like, that's really bad. He's like, I know. And like, they just left it in as sort of an inside joke. But I like the fact that they, like, at least they're not tempted at money. all by this. Cause again, I, I wouldn't know that you couldn't spend a thousand dollar bill. Like, if I hadn't watched this movie, I'm sure they could be like, man, hey, we could do some damage with this. But no, they were just going to throw it in the fire because they're so altruistic. No, but common sense would be like, all right, well, we're we're using this all to like make a fire, and we can grab like a handful of these. It's not going to make a difference when it comes to the fire or not. It might give us like an extra two seconds of fire. So let's just put that in our pocket, and then we please escape here. Let's just go someplace warm. You know, right. I mean, let's just forever. We'll, we'll, we'll grab twenty of the thousand dollar bills, twenty thousand. That's going to make for a very nice vacation, but not very much of a good fire. So, but yeah, they don't even do that, which is like, oh wow, you guys are really noble. You know what I mean? It's like. Yeah, but so, really you're not noble because you're burning it. So I yeah, don't exactly <laughs> right. So so anyway, they they are setting this whole thing up though, so that the one guy who's you know super evil Leon can go and have a one on one because Stallone's got to have a fight with somebody, and he's like, it looked who's kind of tall, so I need somebody you know, a little more. Also, he's old, so even though he's not that much older than you, slot it doesn't matter. He looks old, so I got to have a fist fight with somebody. So let it be this guy. So basically, we we had this. So they set up all these explosives so that they basically can try to cave them in and Sly and this Leon guy can have a fist fight in the cave where he of course uses he's mar- martial to, arts too. Exactly. Yes, he's martial arts. He pulls out like a huge freaking knife out of like Cobra or something again, and we have this like, way wrong answer, and we get Stallone power pressing him into stalactites. That was pretty cool. That's actually the one dot that I really thought was cool. And there was like, because I mean, they set it up pretty obvious when they're oh, yeah. showing all of them everywhere. And then when, you know, he basically just like presses him up into it. I'm like, okay, that I'll give you that. That was a pretty cool death. Plus, I couldn't stand the guy either. That guy was freaking annoying because it was what? like, tell me again where the money is. I burned it. And it's like, I have to give you two more tries. It's like, he's obviously not going to tell you, man. You got him already halfway beating the death. So. Right. Yeah. But but Jesse been, gets involved too. Like she tries to shoot him, but the gun's out of bullets. At least she's taking a little bit of her own agency there. She's not waiting to be rescued. It's not nearly as annoying as the soccer playing loving dude though that tries to kick Michael Rooker to death until Rooker throws him off a cliff and shoots him with his own damn shotgun. Like that Well, I I yeah. laugh at this though, because I'm watching this with the wife, and as he's talking about kicking, he's what? He's British, right? Or something. And he co- yeah. yeah, and he calls it soccer. 
Yeah, it would call it football. He would never call it soccer. No. He'd call it football. Yeah, I'm that's sure like a, that's that actor. A huge thing. I'm sure them. that actor and Rennie Harlan looked at Sylvester Stallone and said, "Freaking Americans!" <laughs> they they had to do it because I'm sure Stallone's like, "People in America don't call it that. Man, football is a different sport in America." And I'm, they know that, but I'm sure they were like, "But this guy would never say that. Sly, he's not from America. Doesn't matter. He needs to call it soccer." Okay. <laughs> and they or they could have done something where the guy was like. You know, you know. I'm sure you know the sport, so, so, you know, football, which you guys call soccer, even though, you know, your football does. You don't even use your feet, you know, or something so, like that. Something, he right? Could, he could have, yeah. he could have done some like, you know, insult or something like, you know, like, like he probably would have done. But that's the whole thing is like, I guess my my question on this too is like. Rooker and he, Rooker's just getting the shit kicked out of him, and I'm like, you know that he has that knife because they showed it earlier. Yeah, because like, because they, they they get old Frank to fly the helicopter up there, and we gun him down for you know reasons of being evil, but he's able to slip Rooker the knife. Well, he deserved to die though. If you watch that opening scene when that lady's like hanging there, that dude is smiling the entire time. So <laughs> <laughs> I think he set that up. Go seriously, Ralph. Listen to this. Go. Yep. Go type in like cliffhanger smiling. And you'll see a picture of him with like Rooker screaming, and then he's got like this big Joker grin on his face. It's it's you hilarious. You know, it would be great is if Frank was like Quaylen's dad or something. <laughs> we would have had a whole like incestuous thing going on. They're not incestuous. We'd have this whole family connection. It would have been great. But how much better would it have been though if that would have been you know Jesse? Is Jesse's the girl, right? Yeah. Um, if that would have been like her father or something right. like that, and it'd be like, okay, that's why they got a nice place because they own a helicopter. And they do helicopter rides up there. They get right. tourist money. I mean, they could have done something here to kind of connect these things. Because, like, when they kill this guy, it's supposed to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe they killed him. And besides just being, like, a nice old man, there's really no connection that the audience has to this guy. He does weird fact- abstract paintings for some reason on acrylic. Yeah, but so. I think if you would have showed it being like, oh, that's her nice old father or something like that, you might be like, oh, that bastard. You know, they killed her dad or something like that. There's, you know what I mean? It gives something a little bit more of a connection here. But yeah, he Rooker grabs the guy's knife and everything. But then he's like later now he's getting the shit kicked out of him by the uh, soccer guy. And why does he wait to the last second to grab that knife? I mean, he's hanging from the cliff for him to grab that knife. And I'm thinking, I'm like, you could have grabbed that knife at any time and slit that guy's throat. Right, or cut his Achilles heel or something like that. He's going down when that happens. Look, everybody watched the NBA Finals. Durant went down quick with that Achilles pop. It was over. Like, that happens to you, you are out. Like that, yeah. He he had to wait to the right traumatic moment, though, Nick, because not only is he stabbing through the foot, he grabs his shotgun and shoots him to propel him backwards off the cliff. I'm like, you and I have shot shotguns. Rooker's going down with that. I don't care if there's no stock on it or not. The kick on that 12 gauge is sending them off the cliff. Or at least it's breaking his wrist. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's doing something. What's funny, though, is that shotgun turns to a rifle, though, um, right after this. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. So, um, <laughs> yeah, a little continuity problems there. But, no, it, he gets we, – we have to have Hal have one you know, moment. He has to take out his own Merc because uh, Stallone's getting to take out enough of these dudes because a lot of them are falling off the you know side of this and that and the other along the way. But it's all a show up to Travers finally realizes that this is a freaking waste of time. And he throws the thing away and he's like, screw you, Quaylen. I'm going on my last manhunt ever. And I'm like, okay, well, good for you for finally realizing that this is completely pointless. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, (laughs) 
Yeah, just some of the stuff in this end right here. It's just like, I guess they're trying to give everybody their moment or their own little thing off of here. But um, I guess, you know, like when Travers, um, you know, he's going up there and he's going to fight against, um, you know, Gabe and everything like that. This is the most ridiculous scene in the movie is, <laughs> yeah. is the underwater thing. I mean, it's kind of yeah. cool the way it is because like Stallone, like they're fighting and then Stallone ends up breaking through the ice. And then, like, Travers is sitting there just, like, kind of laughing at him as, like, you know, Stallone's underneath there trying to break it through. But then he grabs um, – they, they set it up earlier in the movie, like, the little uh, air-pressurized uh, – The repelling gun. gun. Uses, yeah, yeah, to put the, uh, the hooks into the mountain. He ends up shooting it through the ice and then killing the guy, which I don't even know if that thing would have that type of velocity, let alone being shot underneath water. I've watched a lot of videos with, like – stuff being shot into water so maybe maybe it's different when it's coming out of water i i'm not a physics major so i don't know but um i don't I, think it i mean like they that. set up that it could hit into the side of the rocky mountains i guess it's got enough pressure i wonder i'm like is that really going to come up through the thing but you know what this is man this is john mcclain under the table and the guy's like next time you have a chance to shoot somebody do it don't talk and he shoots the guy through the table i'm like well i guess stallone needed that moment because that's what he does is he, he shoots travers like four times with this no mind you he's sh- he's shirtless yes he's underneath this water up on this cliff here i don't even know how this is happening but there's he's underneath there he breaks up through he would be i mean I, no he being obviously you know rooker actually i'm sorry rooker actually saves him pulls him up out mm-hmm. of it how the hell is he dry in the next scene yeah the very next scene like we cut away from him to see uh Quaylen and you know now he's got jesse hostage pull, calling in on the radio and we cut back and gabe is like totally dry they didn't have a towel around his head, man. <laughs> That's the whole thing. It's like he's completely dry and everything. It's like you think about it. Okay, you're in pants and your pants are wet and you get out there. Your pants are now ice. Okay? Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. like they are frozen solid and you are now being frozen from the outside. From Moreover, Nick, it's- your socks are wet and frozen. Your feet have frostbite. You're dead. Like your leg, you're gone. Like there's no way yeah. you're surviving that. No, you pull you up from there. It's like you got minutes to like, you know, get your body temperature back up or something. You know, oh, you're going to be, you're, oh, you're dead. There's no way to do it naturally without like some type of like resuscitation blanket or something to heat you up. You know what I mean? It's right. like, and they don't have any you of see that. like, yeah. yeah, they don't have any of that. They got snow around them and some, you know, walkie talkies, but yep, Stallone's fine. I mean, the fact that they don't even address that the way he's, he's even got dry hair is like, it's, it's amazing. This is bad. It, it shows you how caught. Ca- together this movie was and how chopped up it was in the end i mean it really does but we we finally get our last showdown though because quaylen's like whatever the money you got left i'll take it i'm the last of my goons alive i've got your woman so unless you want to see her plastered on the side of the mountain you better come meet me here there and otherwise to you know trade of course he's of course the bad guys got mary jane you know i mean it's just the way it always is going to be at the end which which that's sad too though man because she is not a mary jane character like she she is taking a lot of risk She's pretty smart. She's tough, but she has to play this stupid damsel in distress at the end. And that I hated that for her because Jenny Terror was a better actress than that. And also, the character's not written that way. But the, the characters are also freaking uneven in this movie. It's, it doesn't even matter. Well, they they try they try to make it sound like oh well, she thought it was the old guy in the helicopter and he tricked her or something like that into it or whatever. Right. It's yeah, just she, like, she thought oh it's Frank, and then she looks around and no, it's Eric Quaylen. 
Then it would be better if it was her father, but that's just <laughs> that's just my rewrite. And what I love here is Quaylen's like not a totally unreasonable person because Stallone's like, no, you got to let her go first, and then I'll give you the money. And Quaylen's like, okay, well, you've only killed like eight of my people, but I'll trust you now. And so he lets the girl off the helicopter. And what does Stallone do? The thing you knew he was going to do, he throws the money into the whirling blades of the helicopter. That was a pretty cool effect. I like that, uh, but. I, you know, Quaylen was dumb to ever believe that that would work. And at that point, too, I'm thinking, I'm just like, maybe just give him the money. You know what I mean? It's like, you're going to throw it up there. What, whether you do that or give it to him, the chances of him maybe like turning around and trying to shoot you guys is pretty much going to be the same. Probably more so if you throw the money into there. So it's like, yeah, you know, it's better. Know. He's, he's got that grappling hook hanging down. So while you're handing over the money, Rooker's like hooking it to the side of the mountain on that ladder, which is what they do anyway. And when he tries to fly off, he just crashes and they're like, hope it was worth it, you know, or whatever. And then they're done like that. Instead of this ridiculous fight scene between him and Lithgow fighting in that helicopter, I'm as if, by the way, I know Lithgow's a lot taller than him. Slow would beat the hell out of that man i'm sorry he, he would kill that old man there's no way he would be able to, to match with that dude it would be like if i went and picked a fight with i don't know you know brock lesnar tomorrow whatever i'm a pretty tall dude but lesnar would kill me like in one blow probably it's, it's, it's a terrible i hate it when movies do this because even like the slow movies like the 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 night slasher guy in cobra was a big hulking dude so like the fight between them made sense wesley snipes is like a martial arts nut you know so in demolition man that's a pretty even looking fight he's a muscular dude john lithgow is your like math teacher again he's not gonna he's not an action hero he can be an evil mastermind but he's not he shouldn't have had a fight scene like that fight scene is so lame um, even if yeah. it is, it's supposed to have all this tension because the helicopter starts crashing and they're slipping down the mountain one piece at a time. And you have that great shot of Stallone jumping off the cliff, which I think is the thing they had to pay the guy a million dollars to do. Uh, this mm-hmm. guy, but I mean, really like th- it is a dumb fight at the end of this movie. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's ridiculous, but I mean, they should have done something where maybe they like injured, um, you know, Stallone got injured or something, or maybe he's suffering from the effects of hypothermia. I don't know. Maybe to make it a little bit more even, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's dumb. I mean, and then they got the course, the helicopter crashing into the side of the mountain and killing Lithgow and everything. I guess my, the thing I was most surprised about was actually seeing the Rooker's character survive. I, I, I thought, thought he would he die. Gonna, yeah. I thought he would die like sacrificing Stallone or something like that. Like, I, I was totally expecting a scene where Stallone was hanging off the mountain and Rooker grabbed him. And, like, Rooker was giving it, like, a second thought of, like, maybe I'll just let you go like you did to my girlfriend. No, we, you know we did I mean? get that scene, though. They replay that later on, like, in the cave or something. He has to pull Jesse up, you know, and she's actually able to reach up and grab his, his arm and help herself up with him. Because they replay that whole moment later on. And I was like, that is so freaking lame to call back to that because the, totally different people in completely different situations. That is, that is awful. But as I mean, though, if you did it with like Rooker and Sly or something like that, it would be kind of like, you know, I had a chance to, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? Kind of like, I don't know. It's stupid either way. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's just, I, I'm, again, I'm just, I'm shocked that he didn't die, like sacrificing himself for Stallone or something like that, you right. know, like where it was going to be like, Whatever, but it, yeah, it was weird to see basically out of all the good guys. I mean, really, the old guy died, which he was so old, he was probably going to die in a year, anyways. <laughs> and then w- w- one of the, um, you know, extreme sports guys, the, the really, really extreme sports guy with like the Keanu Reeves blonde hair, uh, died. 
And that's really it for the good guys, really. I mean, am I wrong there? Yeah, no, I, th- like I think the other people? guy died, too, because he got hung in the tree and the wolves were eating him later. Like, he got shot, but he was able to get off the mountain and get his his parachute down, but he hangs in the tree and dies. They got Max Perlick is his name. He was in Buffy years later. and he's No, I think I think up. he lived. I thought they made us mention that he was going to be fine. Like, they were, they were transporting him to a hospital. Oh, see, I missed that. Right? See, I, I totally missed that because I know old Frank showed up and, like, scared the wolves off, but I thought they were, like, already eating his carcass or something. Uh, no, he got shot, like, in the back or whatever, and, like, there was blood on the ground. And I'm assuming that's why the wolves got attracted because they smelled the blood. But then, like, they were trying to, like, get at his boot. Um, but, yeah, he shot his revolver. And, yeah, they later said, like, he, he flew him down, like, I guess real quick, flew him down to the, you know, base camp or whatever. And then well, they were helicoptered him. That would explain then why he doesn't have a lot of fuel to fly around with, even though they're flying around a lot at the end. They dropped that line. See, it's a smart script. Look at that. Yeah, not we, even. We not it all even, together. Not even close. <laughs> but we end on the end with the three friends reunited. And everybody's happy. And I guess we're, you know, old Frank's dead. So now Gabe's definitely got to come back to work. But you reckon Rooker's like, hey, man, you took eight months off. I'm getting that job. <laughs> and, like, yeah. and somewhere in Janine Turner's going like, screw y'all. I'm getting that job. <laughs> you know, like there's going to be a good, there's a good sitcom to be made out of those three on the mountain somewhere. But darn it, we never got Cliffhanger, the TV show. Um, I guess, so, you know, I mean, you're thinking about like what their jobs were. Wouldn't this movie just been better if they were like, like mountain tour people or something like they just got caught up in it. That would even be more implausible though. That would be ridiculous. Like they have to have access to like equipment and and knowledge. No, no, not not like them. Like they're like, they're the ones that take people up there. Like they're like the, like the Sherpas of, yeah, like, yeah, they're like the tour guys. Yeah. Like the Sherpas of the, uh, of the Rockies or whatever, where it's like, you know, people take them to go up there and they're the ones that know the ways up and the ways down in the mountains and everything like that. Like, I just, the whole EMT stuff with the rescue things, like I don't know, I just—it's weird. The movie's movie's not good. So. <laughs> I Jay, I think we've come to the end here. <laughs> we we have definitely come to the end. It's time for final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So do the obvious thing, Nick, and tell us what yours are for Cliffhanger. You know, I'm not going to give it a small popcorn because I'm going to reserve that for like you know the really bad like you know. Um, Blair Witch Projects 2, um, secret movies like The Specialist that people never hear that were really, really small popcorns. But this one is kind of a medium popcorn. You know, it's 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 not good, but it's not like really, really bad. It's just kind of blah. It's, you know, it's a movie where I always use these analogies like it, it's a cleaning movie on Saturday. It's like, you know, you got people coming over later that night. You're going to put something on the TV while you're going to sit there and you're going to wash the floors. I mean, that's this kind of movie. It's something where you can, you don't really want to watch it the entire time because it's going to be really, really stupid. But there's a couple little fun scenes in here. Like, you know, the guy getting put through the, you know, through the, whatever you call that in the mountains where he's getting impaled or something. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. It's, it's like that. It's, it's, it's medium popcorn. It's like I said, if it's on Saturday when you're cleaning, you can put it on, you can do a lot worse, but Definitely not like a Friday or Saturday night movie. I got to say, man, outside of the work of Wolfgang Kulik and Ron Koch, who were the doubling guys for Stallone and pretty much everybody else here that did the climbing, they're the climbers. And Kulik died before the movie even came out. And so a lot of the reshoots are are caught outside of that. Like, and the spectacle ain't a lot to hang on to here, man. I, I, I'm going to give it the small popcorn because if it was fun, really? if it was totally fun the whole way through, I would give it the medium for just being kind of stupid and ridiculous. But the problem is, like, this isn't fun because if you apply any bit of brain power at all to it, you realize how dumb it is. And then if you read about it, you realize, like, it is so muddled together. Like, I think the setup, they've got something in the first act. 
And even through the, the setup, through the, the heist on the plane, like at that, I'm in the movie at that point. But after that, dude, I was checking my watch. I was seeing how much time was left in the thing. I got bored with this. And that's the worst thing you can say about an action movie. And also, Lithgow is just totally wrong for the character they've got him playing. If he was the mastermind, as he kind of is in this movie, it would work. But for him to also play like the physical heavy, I just don't buy it. It just doesn't work. And it does not hold up at all. It looks great. It's a beautiful looking movie, but it is a really stupid movie. And it's not the worst thing we reviewed, not even close, but it's definitely in the small popcorn territory, man. I cannot give this one a pass. Cliffhanger, drop off the cliff. This is bad, 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 bad stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we both agree it's not a good movie, but I don't think it's that bad. But <laughs> yeah, well, it's their own. Yeah, exactly. So, well, we're at the end of our summer of Stallone here, folks. And now we're going to get into some fun stuff in September. And Nick, you and I've got something. We don't do a lot of these here on Filmstrip, but you know, we we did the remake of It Chapter One when it came out a few a few years ago, and uh, we you know we let it come out of theaters and then went home. But it's going to be out in theaters this September, so you and I are going to go and check that out, and we'll do a, a show you know a couple days after it. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing It Chapter Two. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that'll actually will that be the fr- I think we're going to plan on going to see that together. So I think that might be yep. the first time we've like watched the movie in the theater and then reviewed it. So I think we're going to kind of do one of those. Uh, if you know Jay's up to it, where we actually go watch it and then we go review it right away, so it'll be like yeah. right off, right off, you know, our our minds and everything. Because even like Cliffhanger, like you know, like I watched this yesterday, so it's not like right after the movie. So I think it'd be kind of a fun show. It'd be kind of a little bit different. So. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be a different. It'll, the first time we've recorded in the same space and sent it out to the world, so that'll that'll be a lot of fun. We've done quick turnarounds on the show before for previous episodes, but you and I've never done it, and I've never yeah. watched something with another host and then immediately. You know, jumped on a recorder. So that'll be fun to do. And I'm curious to see, you know, I go back and listen to my review on that. I might have been a little harder than that movie, <laughs> a little harder than the movie I wanted to be because I've watched it again since and it's, it's pretty good. It's actually a lot better than maybe I, I gave it credit for. So I'm, I'm open to the idea of what they can give us in chapter two. Uh, and we'll see where it goes from there. I think when you, I think when you start going over the whole Stephen King, like, overall which we've reviewed quite a bit of this stuff mm-hmm. it's definitely in the upper echelon when it comes to adaptations for stephen king i know that's not saying a lot but i i, I put it in like the top five but it's definitely in there folks you can find all the episodes on our website filmstrippodcast.com you can also find where you can subscribe to the show and if you do please leave us a positive review and share the show on social media it helps other people find out we're growing the audience and we really appreciate that you can follow the show on twitter at filmstrippod and then you can also search for us on facebook we've got a facebook page filmstrip podcast where you can find all the information there and interact with any of the hosts that you like we appreciate the support until next time for nick i'm jay you've been listening to filmstrip Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.